Welcome to Young PR Pros on the FIR Podcast Network. Young PR Pros is the podcast for the young and young at heart working in the world of public relations and communications. Here are your hosts, Christine Darbell and Julia Kent. Hello, podcast listeners. As you know, Young PR Pro strives to keep content exciting, relevant, and informative. We are on the hunt for an assistant producer. Our podcast is free for listeners, so we don't make a lot of money. We are looking for an eager volunteer who wants to add a kick-ass opportunity to their resume. Last year, we got internationally syndicated and tripled the size of our audience. The podcast received several hundred downloads per episode, with more than 26,000 downloads since its launch. The experience you will gain from this awesome opportunity includes producing and mixing episodes. We aim to put out two episodes per month. And don't worry if you don't know how to produce a podcast. Our wonderful current producer, Christine, will be able to teach you in less than an hour. Assisting in coming up with new and exciting ideas for future episodes. And of course, working with three awesome hosts who love to talk about all things communications, public relations, social media, marketing, and sometimes politics and the latest celebrity gossip. Please send a short blurb about yourself to youngprpros at gmail.com. Be creative. We cannot wait to work with you. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Young PR Pros, a podcast for the young and young at heart PR pros looking for tips and advice on how to build and advance their careers. I am Christine Darbell in Ottawa, Canada. I'm Julia Kent in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I'm Ross Simmons out of Halifax, Nova Scotia. So Julia, you're in Halifax. You're in your home. How are you liking it? I'm loving it. And uh, my father was just awarded with uh, the Red Cross Humanitarian of the Year uh, last night. So uh, it's a very special occasion. Oh, that's great to hear. Congratulations to your dad. And we've actually had him on the show. I think way, way in the way beginning he was on the show, wasn't ago. he? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to link back to that episode so that everyone mm-hmm. can hear his voice again. Definitely. Uh, so Julia, you had a good idea for a topic for today's episode. So I'll let you introduce it. As I was watching the uh, the, the national election, the federal election play out, um, particularly as I watched uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, choose his cabinet, I sensed a really good Young PR Pros uh, discussion topic, an episode on uh, merit versus qualifications uh, for, for roles um, and gender and, and ethnic uh, equality um, in, in, in roles. And, uh, you know, primarily what triggered this for me was the fact that we saw for the first time ever, ever a, a 30-person cabinet of a 50-50 split uh, with gender, but also some very, um, in, in my mind, appropriate ethnic representation um, from Canada's uh, uh, mosaic. Um, so I thought that'd be a really good discussion because particularly in journalism, it is a big, it's a hot topic because broadcast journalists um, are the face of their, their network. And there's been the age-old rule that, you know, no two anchors can be the same gender. Um, and in a uh, field where, you know, there's not always an equal number of uh, men and women going for the same job, that often gives you an advantage if you're of one gender uh, over the other. Um, 
so I, th- I thought that was interesting. I also thought uh, it was interesting because, you know, in my experience at CBC, um, if you were a, a white uh, person, you were at a disadvantage um, because they were, CBC is working so hard to have uh, ethnic equality um, on, on their programming. Um, so I thought that this would raise a really good discussion around, uh, you know, merit versus qualifications, um, with you guys. Sure. Ross, do you want to start? I think, um, the, the emergence of, uh, kind of workplace equality and all of these things is really a hot topic across every industry, whether you look at tech, um, whether you look at, um, marketing, you look at PR, you look at journalism. Um, it's really becoming something that everyone is talking about and it's, it's for the better of the industry. I think it's uh, been a long time coming um, and we're starting to finally see the needle move. But I think um, it's something that uh, is starting to really come to life because there's more millennials in the workforce um, and more millennials are recognizing the the importance of it from both a um, business standpoint, but also just from an equality standpoint. So when it comes to hiring over merit um, versus all of those things, one of the things that I always go back to is when people talk about um they're needing to be the best way to get more women in journalism. The best way to get more minorities in tech is to hire more women, to hire more um, minorities. It's not to kind of overcomplicate it. You just really need to do it. And I think that um, what Justin Trudeau has done um, by putting his foot out there and saying, this is why I'm what I'm doing. He's ultimately creating something that's going to have a ripple down effect for many years to come where young kids who are 14, 10, six, eight, you name it, are going to be able to look at these people. And while they're not aware of all of the different um, debates that are happening at this level, um, they're just seeing a face that looks like theirs. And they're saying to themselves, okay, if he can do that, so can I. Or if she can do that, so can I. Um, And I think that that's where the biggest value is long term. Yeah, I I think so too. I think that Trudeau in particular in this situation has set a precedent as well, particularly on the um, the gender file, because now the next prime minister that doesn't have a, at least a 50-50 or close to a 50-50 gender representation is going to look like a devil. Um, you know, unless, of course, it goes the other way and it's more women than men. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're in the, the Liberal Party or any party right now and you're a woman you're and you're an MP, you're thinking that you have a much better shot at becoming a, a minister, a, 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 getting a cabinet position yep. than if you're a man. Because because Trudeau has said that you know it because it's 2015, I'm going to have 50-50 split. Even though of his 180 MPs, it's not 50-50 split men women. Um, so I, I I do think he set a precedent there. Um, I'm not I'm not a person that's pro quota. Um, I don't think that we need to mandate that. You know there must be 50-50. I, I think that he's done something historic. Um, I don't know if he'll necessarily hold that going forward. Uh, I, yeah, I don't believe in quotas. Like, I don't believe in you know having a company and saying oh, I will have fifty percent staff women. Um, however, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, oh, you know, it, Trudeau's put uh, you know gender over merit, and I'm like, hold on here. Just because it's now half women doesn't mean that suddenly there's there's not enough merit. I said, yeah, I. I just because it was, you know, more men in Harper's cabinet 
there were merit issues going on there too. <laughs> and it, it was funny. So um, for our audience who hadn't uh, watched the federal election, uh, one of the things that, so Justin Trudeau, um, our new prime minister, um, appointed um, a cabinet of 30 members, 50, 15, sorry, uh, was women and the other 15 were men. And a journalist, after he came out, after he appointed his cabinet, uh, he came out and one of the journalists said, why is gender such a big deal? And his response was, it's 2015. Um, and then he kind of just left it at that and he wanted to move on to the next question. And I think that was a really great way of responding to that because um, it's not about gender. He almost, he basically said, that's a stupid question. Exactly. It has nothing to do yeah. about gender. It's he, yeah. yeah. He says it has nothing to do about gender. It's I picked, you know, 15 men who had good qualifications and 15 women who had good qualifications. Um, so, and he, he, he's also pointing to the fact that all of a sudden everyone thinks, well, because you decided to do 50% and 50%, well then you didn't put qualifications over um, gender. You put gender first. But in reality, what happens in today's world and you you said it um, at the beginning Ross if we don't hire the women if we don't hire the ethnicities then it just will never be there and right now it, it just happens it's it's human nature you will see you'll you know um, you'll have a, a woman and a male candidate and um, sometimes the, the, the people feel like the male is um, they'll automatically have the reaction that the male must be more qualified when in reality it's they could both have equal good qualifications um, but because we've been in, in um, a society that has favored men or favored other ethnicities for for generations and generations um we have to we just have to break that by just hiring the women and hiring the different ethnicities um and that's what justin trudeau did he said okay i'm going to find 15 women who have good qualifications and put them in my cabinet um and that's what he did so i mean i i i think for for young professionals i the the important thing to, to take away from here is, um, you know, when you're going into an interview, this is not something that you always, you probably don't know if they have a quota. And, and I agree with you, Julia, that we don't necessarily need to have a quota, but what we should be thinking about is we should be trying to you know, take out that, that filter that sometimes um, we might have and look at the person's qualifications. Don't look at their ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Don't look at um, the skin, uh, the gender, their gender yeah. the color of their skin or anything like that and really just break it down to their um, skills and then pick the person that has the best qualifications. Um, and so as a, a young professional, when you're going in, you don't know what the quota is you don't you don't know who you're up against so the only thing you can do mm -hmm. is show what qualifications you have because that's how um that's how exactly. you, you should be hired and hopefully you'll be hired but it is yeah. nice to see um that our prime minister is is you know showing that it's 2015 and women have equal qualifications as men definitely um you know i find it you know, interesting, the, the Minister of National Defense is, is, is a man of color. Um, you know, I find, it, I find it appropriate and interesting that the um, Minister of, uh, what is it, Aboriginal Affairs or, or First Nations Affairs is a First Nations woman. Um, you know, these things that this makes sense, right? Like it, it just, it just makes sense. Um, and you know, but my, I would like to turn it back to, you know, how it relates to our workforce, Ross, as a, as a Canadian of color, how do you feel if you knew you got a job based on the color of your skin over somebody that was equally as qualified as you, how would that make you feel? It's 
tough question. Um, I definitely would uh, consider it to be kind of a slap in the face and not really deserved if I was chosen solely because of the color of my skin. Um, I think that it would be uh, in the ideal scenario um, would be that I got the job because I had the skills to do it. Um, if the organization said that I got an extra point because of the color of my skin um, and because they know that for the past 50 years or so they haven't actually hired anyone of color and they just this is something that they're looking to change and they're looking to kind of increase the diversity within their company. Um, I think that I would be okay with it then, mainly because of the fact that I think they would be valuing a different perspective. I think that somebody who isn't from uh, the same background as the founders of a company, their typical workforce comes with a variety of different perspectives. So I think that they can actually add a different type of value um, just from their own personal experiences as a person of color, similar to what a woman could do if they were hired yeah. um, or a white man would bring to a position if uh, the workforce was all um, black or minority or Aboriginal, you bring a different type of lens. So I think that there is value in just having a diverse background uh, within your workforce as well. Yeah. Um, so I would say if the organization hired me to check off a box, I would say, okay, that's negative, And I wouldn't really um, see that as being a good fit. But if they looked at my personal, um, my race and was like, okay, I see the value that this person can bring because they offer a different perspective. I would be okay with that. Yeah. And like, Christine, would you be up upset if you knew you got a job over somebody else with identical qualifications because you were a woman? Well, similar. See, I wouldn't, that wouldn't bother no, me. No. And similar to what Ross was saying, um, at the beginning, often what happens is you might have a man and a woman that have the exact same qualifications, but um, because we come from generations and generation that favored men, even though I had the same qualifications, they might have hired the man. So if they do hire me, then um, I'm grateful for that. And I'm also proud for that because then it's showing that we're breaking that stereotype and we're saying, okay, no, it just mm -hmm. be like these two people have equal qualifications. Um, so let's hire the woman because we need more women in the workforce. So um, I, I don't think if, if they said that we, we there was two people, you had the same exact qualifications, but we decided to choose the woman um, because we don't have a lot of women in our organization and we want that different perspective, then I'd be very proud and very happy to have that um, role. Now, if I were up against, if I were up against somebody with uh, better qualifications than me and I got the job solely because I was a woman, that would make me feel weird. And I think Rashi would agree there. If, if your color was getting you the job over somebody that was more qualified, that would make you feel really weird. Yeah, I think it would definitely make me feel weird. Um, I think if they saw something long-term in me that they didn't have, mm -hmm. yeah. um, then I would say, okay, yeah. I understand it. But I think if the, the challenges with these hypotheticals is that it's never the exact same person that you're going to be up against, right? So, um, whether you go to the same school, whether you had the exact same GPA, which again would be very <laughs> rare, um, it's tough to kind of find somebody at the 100% exact level yeah. of experience and can bring exactly the same mm -hmm. thing to the table. Well, and personalities um, differ so, so much I, too, right? Yeah. yeah. It's true. Exactly. So there's a lot of EQ that yeah. you can compare and IQ. It, it, it makes it tough. Well, there's a whole other layer to all of this, um, you know, particularly as we cater this conversation and discussion for the young PR professionals, either just in the workforce or, or entering the workforce, um, is the, the equal pay 
issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, celebrities like Jennifer Lawrence have been extremely vocal about how, um, you know, and this is in the film industry, you know, but how men uh, are making infinitely more money for the same leading roles in film as women and how unfair that is and how and how strange it is. And um, I know, uh, you know, from personal experience that that's, that translates into um, the workforce that, that we're in mm-hmm. and that oftentimes they look at, you know, a, a young uh, female professional and feel they can get away with paying them less than a young male professional. And, um, you know, I don't have any hard evidence that, that I've been victim of that discrimination, but it, it's, no, it's a known issue. What do you guys think about that? I think that in its own, your last statement is the even bigger issue. Like I think that the fact that you don't know whether or not you are um, being compensated equal to your colleagues is an issue. Um, Currently, government and employers have set up this rule where you don't talk about your pay. Um, So we don't actually talk about it openly. But if you have those conversations and you are in an organization, which I think all organizations should be, um, where you can transparently talk about those types of things like compensation, um, it holds the employers more responsible to actually pay their employees um, at the same level. So if you look at the stats and the studies, women of color um, in particular are paid significantly less, up to 42 to 50% less. and there's nothing that can be done unless it's truly out there. So what I think needs to happen is employers need to be more vocal. I think that um, we need to we need to arm employees, even if it's um, behind closed doors in some type of uh, app that doesn't necessarily say your name. There needs to be a way to know what other people are making so you're not getting... Um, you're not being uh, discriminated against simply because you're a female or because you're a person of color. And I think for any mm-hmm. young professional, um, if, if you do end up working in an organization that's open about your compensation, I think that can really help you grow as a young professional because I mean, and it's, it's, I haven't actually worked for an organization that's been um, open with, uh, with compensation. And it's very difficult when you're a young professional and you want to ask for a raise or, or you feel like you deserve more, but you're not quite sure if this is the company culture and if you are making adequate because this is what the culture or this is what the organization can afford for you or if you can actually go and ask for more um, and it's funny because I saw a tweet come across my yeah. um, news feed the other day uh, and it was a tool um, I think it was out of Alberta uh, University of Alberta that um, kind of put together a tool that'll that helps young women um, in particular to go in and ask for a raise if they think that they deserve it and I think that that's um, um, uh, you know, a skill that uh, young professionals in general, whether you're a male or female, I don't think we have that skill anymore. I find it's, I find we kind of just get in and, and we, we get a position, especially in PR and communications, because it can be a very competitive environment. You get in, you get your job, you get the pay, and then you're like, okay, great, I'm just going to get this experience and then move on to the next role. And to tell you the truth, I've never actually negotiated that much for for my pay. I've I've looked at what I've given, and it was if it, if it was a little bit of a raise from what I had before, then I just kind of say, okay, I guess that's good enough. But you know what? Maybe it's not. Maybe I should be. If it was an open, um, you know, uh, organization where I could see what everyone else was making, and not necessarily by name. I agree, it doesn't have to be this. Specific 
specific person makes that much, but maybe people at my level, what they make, um, then maybe it would uh, give me an idea of whether or not um, I, I should go in and, and ask for a raise. Because, uh, I mean, I don't know about you guys. Have you guys ever asked for raises before? I've never done it. Yes, I have um, several times. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that, yeah, the, I think the danger there is that uh, you don't want to... I think the danger is always you're, you're, you're struggling with this juggle, right? Um, am I being really underpaid and it's embarrassing and everyone in my office knows that I'm, or, you know, at least my superiors know that they're getting a deal mm-hmm. having me around or am I going to go ask for a raise and look like a complete moron because I'm asking for something that's completely out of line because I'm already well compensated, Right, so it's this it's this juggle that you're that you're looking for, and and I also think um, you know something that my my husband always says to me is, you know, if you're if you're overpaid, you've got a big target on your back because you better deliver, you better be providing uh, the value, and so having a, a good understanding of 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 what you're really worth and what your role is worth um, is really important because you know either way whether you're underpaid or overpaid. Um, it could, it you could know, be dangerous. It, you put yeah. yourself in a weird position. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think that might be, you know, really a good tip for young professionals who are first entering their new job. Um, start at a young, you know, start right from the get go and, and hopefully you can create a relationship an open and honest relationship with your boss where you feel comfortable asking these kind of questions to say, you know what, I'm new. I need to know what's, what's reasonable and what's not reasonable and, and get them to lay the land for you and say, listen, this is, um, this is basically, you know, the average of what people are making, not only in your position, but, you know, across yeah. different organizations. And there are, there are websites, there are websites where you can put in your, your job title mm-hmm. and it'll tell you a range like lowest hot reported, highest reported and the median. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good tool to use, um, you know, to do your research in that way. There's, there's several websites, but, but I think one in particular I've consulted before. Um, and, and put in different variations of your job title because, as we know, you know, marketing uh, manager or marketing coordinator can really be many other th- things. Um, but, yeah, just be aware of that and, and be equipped if you're going to go ask for a raise or, or if you're negotiating a salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think the most important thing is preparation. You need to come to the table understanding um, what people in your industry are making at a certain point, but also understand the value that you're offering the company. Like, I I don't believe um, in the whole concept of being overpaid at all. I think if an organization is willing to pay you a certain amount, you're not being overpaid. You're being compensated for what they believe mm-hmm. um, you were worth or what you expressed you were worth or what they assumed you were worth. Um, so upon having that statement and upon knowing that how much you are worth, the only thing that you can do is go up from there. So if you feel as if internally you're being overpaid, I would say remove that sentiment entirely from your mindset and just think that you're being paid for what Mm. you deserve Mm -hmm. and then try to do some digging to understand what others around you are being paid. Um, There's a book from uh, Sheryl Sandberg called Lean In. Yes. And it talks about this insecurity within minorities where we always wonder if we're being overpaid um, or whether or not we're going to lose our job if we go to the boss and we we don't think that we can negotiate. We don't think um, that we should ask for a raise. There might not be enough room in the budget. 
And this insecurity is something that she believes in. I think she's referenced some studies is only found within minorities. And the reason why we're not able to kind of make that leap to the next level is because we're always telling ourselves these stories. So I think it's important that we stop telling ourselves that we might be overpaid and recognize that we're being paid for what we're worth or what the company Mm -hmm. believed we were worth. And the next step is Mm -hmm. only going up. Yeah. You know, Ross, this is, it is a good, that is good advice, but this is different for you, of course, because as an entrepreneur, you're not negotiating an annual salary. You're negotiating either an hourly or by project or by contract rate. Am I right? Now I am. But I, when I was working in the advertising industry, right. I got two raises um, over the course of my career. Um, both were me forcing myself to kind of say, okay, I'm getting paid X. I don't believe I'm not worth it. Why? Um, so I went to my boss in both cases and I asked for um, a significant raise and both times I got them. And the way that I did that was doing the research. So I understood what digital marketers were making all across the country. I brought those stats to the negotiation table when the conversation started Um and I made sure that they understood, okay, look, this is the value that I'm bringing to the company. This is how much my colleagues are making. This is how much people from all over the world are making. And I got the raise each well, time. Well, that's great. Um, that's awesome. So yeah. I do look back at that experience as being where I'm stating these kinds of ideas, um, less of from a, a negotiation standpoint. I think the negotiation world um, in asking for different uh, rates in terms of your projects is a whole entire different beast. But when it comes to an annual salary, I think it all comes down to just being prepared with stats, um, understanding that you were hired Mm -hmm. to do a job. And if you're going above and beyond that expectation, there's no question that you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to ask for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's some, that's true. That's uh, really, really good. You know, I, I get, uh, you know, my mentees and and young professionals asking me all the time, you know, what can I expect for an entry level, you know, straight out of uh, university or college salary. And I think that's a really good conversation to have with somebody that you trust that has recently been um, a young professional entering the workforce. And I think, um, you know, and I would also be careful who you ask because some of the older, uh, you know, more seasoned professionals that, you know, may have been in the industry for 20 or 30 years don't have an awareness of what entry-level people are now being paid. Um, so so speak with somebody who's been there, you know, within the last 10 years at least and uh, and ask them to get, give you a lay of the land. And bear in mind that different industries pay differently. Uh, you know, nonprofits pay differently than, you know, the corporate world. Um, and it varies across the country. So the same role in, you know, St. John's is not going to pay the same as Vancouver or Calgary. Um because of cost of living and all sorts of other things, so um, definitely regionalize. What type of range would What type of range would you guys say across Canada would be? Oh, I've seen. I've heard level? some big ones. Yeah, like I've heard, you know, Ontario to Atlantic would be at least ten to twenty percent less, and then if you go west, it could be like thirty to forty percent more. And I think that's that's more of just right. just the the reason why you would make more in the west is because everything's more expensive in the west you work in vancouver well, you're gonna exactly make more money. yeah it's cost of living based yeah. right yeah. 
Um, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, my house in Nova Scotia would be $100,000 less than it is in Ontario yeah. or whatever, right? I, I had a boss when I was working at an agency, and he told me that I would be making um, much less than my, my counterparts in um, government. However, if you look at the kind of the, the, the trend line, if you work in agency, you start low, but you climb high, and then you stay really, really high. Compared to government is you start high, but then you kind of have a, a much slower increase and over time you make a, a, a decent salary there's nothing wrong with uh, government salaries and that's why a lot of people like to work for government because you have a constant um, and decent increase over over your your lifespan at uh, at that job um, but you also kind of plateau uh, below what you would make in an agency later on so it, it's it, again like kind of kind of what Ross did when he was asking um, for a raise you have to go in prepared you can't go into a government position and demand what you would get paid in an agency. That's just not how it works, right? Um, so you have to do some research. You need to figure out what your um, what your counterparts are getting paid, and then also just your industry, um, the place that you live. Put that all into consideration, um, and then also, like I really, really liked what you were saying, Ross. If you feel like you're worth a certain number, then you should have no fear. As long as you've done your research and, and you know that that number is reasonable, then you should have no fear going in and saying that that's what um, uh, that's what you would like to get paid. And you know what? I, I think a lot of employers see that as um, you know, confidence in, in a young professional. If someone can come in and say, yeah. this is, I've done the research and I believe that I'm worth this much, I think that shows great confidence in a young professional, in any professional for that matter. One thing that I've also noticed is, um, like, there is a lack of negotiation skills that comes to the table when you're going after that first job. If you get a job offer and they say, um, we want to hire you, but it's for twenty seven five. Um, and young professionals, you don't have to like, say yes. I, I need a job. job. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. You don't you don't have to say yes right away. You can say, I think we're in the right ballpark. I like where you're headed. Um, I think we're within that range. That's kind of where my head was at, um, and we can work from that number um, as we go through this process. That's all you have to say. You don't have to sign the paper right then and there. Um, and then you can do some research and you can find out if your counterparts are primarily making 35 and you can say, hey, most of my friends who are doing a similar job are making 35. Let's meet in the middle. I want to start at 32. And then I want to regroup in another year to evaluate whether or not we can get this up to um, 40 or something like that. So I think young professionals need to be okay with having those conversations. Yeah, I think so. And I think, again, speak to uh, somebody who's been in the industry, you know, or been in your position in the last decade and, and talk to them about how they negotiated and what tips they've picked up along the way. Because the way I would negotiate a salary or a job today is drastically different from my first full-time permanent role, you know, uh, back in back when I got that. So uh, speak to somebody you trust that's going to give you some, uh, some really good advice. And remember, when an employer comes to you and says, we want to hire you, it means they value you. So, you know, they're not just hiring you to check exactly. a box. They're hiring you because they're, they're, they need someone with your skills and they've chosen you over everyone else in the pool. So um, just as that, it's, a, it's is your, first, your, first, um, uh, your first point in negotiation. Remember, they value you. They've chosen you out of the pool. So, um, you know, make sure that you, you think of that. Anyway, we, we are going a little long. So is there any, any other um, comments or anything uh, we want to add before we wrap up? No, I think this is a juicy subject. Yes. 
and I think that we could we could talk about this a lot longer. But uh, I think this is a I, I would challenge any young professionals that have further questions on what we've talked about today to please tweet them at us um, uh, so that we could maybe pick this up uh, at a later date. Yes, for sure, for sure, because this is a really important um, conversation that I think young professionals should uh, should be having. Um, so it was a really interesting episode today. We kind of started with uh, you know gender and ethnicity in the workforce and made our way to negotiating on salary. So uh, the joys of our podcast is always uh, <laughs> we, we take different twists and turns. Um, so we want to hear from you. If you have any uh, questions or comments about uh, today's episode, uh, you can email us at youngprpros at gmail.com. You can also uh, post a comment on our website at youngprpros.ca. Catch us on our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash youngprprospodcast or chat with us on Twitter at youngprpros, at Christine Darbell, at Kent Julia, and at The Coolest Cool. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Young PR Pros on the FIR Podcast Network, brought to you in association with Lawrence Reagan Communications, serving communicators worldwide for more than 35 years. More information at www.reagan.com. Young PR Pros is a weekly podcast hosted by Christine Darbell and Julia Kent that covers all topics from job hunting skills, such as building resumes and interview tips, to discussions around the state of PR and communications, and how young PR professionals can shape the future of our industry. Young PR Pros is part of the FIR Podcast Network, a series of business podcasts founded by Neville Hobson and Shell Holtz. The anchor podcast in the network is the Hobson and Holtz Report, a weekly show presented since January 2005. For information about the FIR Podcast Network, to see show notes for the podcasts and to subscribe, visit www.forimmediaterelease.biz. You can also subscribe via iTunes and other podcast directories. We welcome your comments about Young PR Pros on the FIR Podcast Network. Join the conversation in the FIR community on Google+. Look for the FIR Podcast Community. Or email us at fircomments at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.